Hello, everybody. Welcome back to History Spelunkers, the show where we take a deep dive into some niche event in world history. My name is Kelvin. I'll be your host, he, him pronouns. And it's just me today because if you're listening to this episode, it's actually part two of our Mormon Wars episode. So if you haven't listened to part one, you should go do that right now. Just hit pause and we'll be here waiting for you to return. So without further ado, let's dive back down the rabbit hole. And so, 1840s, they managed to move out to Utah. They get themselves established in this new place. They call it Deseret for a bit. They wanted to, like, enter in as, like, a Mormon state to the Union. But slavery is the big issue. So, would it be a slave or a free state and all of the other issues that went along with it? In 1849, after the Mexican-American War and all these territories are kind of carved up, the region of Utah that they settled in was given a territorial status and political leadership was given to church leaders because at the time they thought that it was really the only way to protect and guarantee the religious freedom of the Mormon community is to not have non-Mormons in charge of them politically because we've seen how that goes the last couple of times. So Congress creates the Utah Territory in 1850 And President Fillmore appoints Brigham Young to be the territorial governor. And since the moving out to Utah and Brigham Young becoming the new president of the church, that's what the title is called, president, plural marriage becomes an openly approved practice. And the rest of American society develops very strong opinions against this practice. Like I said, 1856, the Republican Party platform calls for prohibiting in the territories, quote, those twin relics of barbarism, polygamy, and slavery, end quote. And they accuse, like, the Democratic Party's policies regarding slavery's expansion into the territories to sort of also help polygamy and Mormons. And a lot of fear baiting is going around regarding them because the Republicans do most of this A lot of Mormons end up becoming Democrats at the time, even though the Democrats are also bashing. It's just not as hard. So yeah, all big, weird 19th century politics, but it's whatever. Ultimately, the East Coast, where most of the population is, begins to become concerned that Brigham Young, being the territorial governor and also head of the church, might try and push some like theocratic state out in the desert. And this was uh, sensationalized in the newspapers at the time, beginning in the mid 1850s, non-Mormon governmental officials began just leaving the territory and working from DC because they don't want to live around Mormons. And like one newspaper or something I found this quote as like, quote, it is left unclear whether the Mormons habitually kicked their dogs, but otherwise their calendar of infamy in Utah was complete. (laughs) What? Okay. So basically, I don't know if they kick their dogs, but they do everything else bad. 
that gives you kind of like <laughs> just how much they were being hated on at the time. And they thought that Mormons were just not trustworthy and which is kind of ironic because Mormons actually were deeply patriotic to America, but they weren't being appreciated, they felt like. So anyways, by the time James Buchanan was inaugurated president in 1857, he decided to remove Brigham Young from position as territorial governor. And he appoints this new person named Alfred Cumming. And in order to facilitate this transition and to protect settlers in the region from Native American violence, he sends about 2,000 troops to set up a fort in the territory and act as a non-Mormon law enforcement. Well, word travels slow back in the time, and the Mormons didn't find out about this until a couple months later in July of that year. And Young disagreed with the choice of replacement and the thought of a literal army marching across the country and the memory of being kicked out of their last two places that they lived. There's this big fear of suspicion and fear of persecution. And so in early August, Young activated the territorial militia, preparing for possible conflict. And he encouraged all wagon trails that were crossing the territory to like California or Oregon to stop, just halt operations until this sort of conflict dies down. Of course, some of these wagon trails already had a couple people on them whenever this order gets out. So some were already trekking through the territory. One of these wagon trains in particular was called the Baker Fancher Party. And they had stopped to resupply in Salt Lake City. And Young had ordered Mormons like stockpile goods in preparation for possible war. And so... This wagon train wasn't able to stock up as much as they normally would have been because everyone's hoarding everything. So they just decide to move along next city, but the pattern continues until they reach the city of Cedar City, kind of southern Utah. And it seems that there, with this party, there began to spread some rumors about how the party, which was from Arkansas, had like poisoned a well because they didn't like Mormons or that they were going to go to California and organize another militia to sorry, there be two militias marching on Utah. And these rumors kind of boiled over until some local church leaders and also community leaders decided to do something about it. And so, um, that thing that they decided to do was have a local group of Native Americans attack the wagon trail. And on September 7th, at a place called Mountain Meadows, about 40 miles from the Utah border, a group of Paiute Indians and Mormon militiamen disguised as Indians attacked this group, 
and several members of the wagon train were kind killed in the standoff. And it lasted for about five days of kind of just shooting back and forth kind of siege. Of course, this goes on long enough. The local government and leaders began to fear that, oh no, the party found out that it wasn't just the Indians attacking them, that there's some white Mormon militiamen doing it too. And if that word got out that a Mormon militia had attacked the wagon trail, then yeah, that just escalates the fear of war. So on September 11th, 1857, a group of militiamen approached the party with a white flag and told them that they had made a truce with the Indians and that they were going to be escorted back to Cedar City under the militia's protection. And all they had to do was just leave their good for the indigenous people. The party agrees and they begin to be escorted by the militia back towards the city. But at this moment, whenever they're out in the middle of nowhere, a signal was given amongst the militiamen and they murdered almost everybody that was in that wagon train. Oh. Somewhere between 120 and 140 men, women, and children were killed. The oh, only wow. people that really? were spared were the kids that the militiamen believed were too young to remember the moment. Mm, wow. So, yeah. And at course, 140 people just turn up dead missing. And so what happened was it was just believed to be a Indian attack. And then everyone just got killed. That, that was what the story was in the news. But the militia coming from Kansas with the new governors on its way. Tensions are high. And on September 15th, Brigham Young declared martial law in the territory and basically said the militia will not be coming into Utah and ordered that the militia not necessarily get into like direct armed conflict with the army, but kind of do some like guerrilla warfare, just harass them and prevent them from getting to Salt Lake City. So the militia kind of harasses the army. They stampede their cattle. They burn some of their wagons and really prolongs their effort on getting into the territory. And so on November 21st, Alfred Cumming declared the people of Utah to be in open rebellion and that Brigham Young, along with like about 60 members of the Mormon up and ups they were all treasonous but at this point winter is setting in in the rocky mountains they set up and halt their advance until the following spring well in that december buchanan in his state of the union address asked congress to enlarge the size of the army in order to deal with this mormon crisis during sort of this off period in the conflict, some negotiations began to get, take place. And in March of the following year, it was agreed that Cumming would be allowed to enter Salt Lake City and become the territorial governor if he did so without the military escort. 
Young was fine with Cummings being governor, but they didn't, they just didn't want the military there. Well, the snow melted. The military is now enlarged by another 3,000 reinforcements, and they begin to make their way into the territory. Young's beginning to freak out. And again, he doesn't think that they can win an outright conflict with the U.S. Army. And so his idea was kind of just to do a scorched earth policy and just flee. And they've moved once, they'll just move again somewhere even more isolated. Eventually, he orders like the evacuation of Salt Lake City and Mormons begin to retreat south into the White Mountains, which is now on like the Utah-Nevada border. On April 6th, Buchanan, the president, is facing a lot of political pressure in Washington because this is kind of being drawn out a lot. And so President Buchanan offers like a pardon to Brigham Young and all the other people if they stop their rebellion. And about a week later, Alfred Cumming is installed as the new governor of the Utah Territory in Salt Lake City, an empty city. June 26th, the army enters the city and creates an army camp about 50 miles south of Salt Lake City. And this fort was actually the single largest concentration of troops in the United States until the Civil War starts a couple years later. But the conflict sort of ends without there being much bloodshed, thus ending the Utah War or the Third Mormon War. (laughs) So yeah. That's a lot of Mormon wars. Yeah. After this conflict, there's some rumors that the Mormons would emigrate once again and just leave America because third time still hasn't worked out with them. So there's talk about them maybe going to like British Columbia, Vancouver, or even all the way up to Russian Alaska at the time. Mm -hmm. That's kind of alternate history, Mormon Alaska, you know? (laughs) Imagine Alaska was like Utah now. Yeah. And the rumors were that Salt Lake City was never never filled again. Is Utah even a state? Are there even people in Utah? There's a decent amount. Yeah. I, I, I mean, Salt Lake City is a decent site. I mean, they yeah. got the Utah Jazz. <laughs> yeah, it just... I do it just know... Kinda, it just, I'm sorry. I do know there's a lot of, like, donut shops in Utah. Like, donut and cookie shops. Like, a ton of huh. them. Why? It still just made me question everything whenever um, I learned because, it while like, responding. Probably because, like, because, you know, there's not a lot of coffee shops, right, in Utah, because part of, like, Mormonism is they don't really ingest a lot of caffeine, yeah. usually. So I think that's why there's a surplus of donut and cookie shops. Interesting. Because they don't do caffeine. It's called hot drinks. They don't do hot drinks. Mm. And that's just over time been interpreted as coffee, tea. I don't know if sodas are still considered part of that now. So but two summers ago, so at the community market each summer, the volunteers that help are like college age Mormons who are on their like mission. Mm-hmm. 
And two summers ago, one of them told us that if you're like being strict about it, you don't even do caffeinated sodas. But there's a lot of them that aren't that strict about it. And they do drink the sodas. They just don't do the coffee or the tea. Kind of wrapping things up. That was the last Mormon conflict. (laughs) There's not one in like the Great Depression where we tried to kill them all again. No. So this Camp Floyd, the largest camp that they set up, it doesn't stick around very long because Civil War starts a couple years later. And so they all have to go fight not in Utah. Yeah. So yeah, the fort was abandoned. And so yeah, that's the story with that. So there really wasn't much of a military occupation at the time. It wasn't until a couple of years after the incident in Mountain Meadows that the truth of who was behind the Mountain Meadows massacre was uncovered. Justice was delayed due to the Civil War. And only one head of the militia, his name is John D. Lee, was tried and executed in 1877. And there is this big question about whether or not church leaders had tried to cover it up, but it's unsure whether, again, communication took so long back then, it's hard to know who knew what at what time. In 1862, Congress passed a law that outlawed polygamy in the territories, but because of the Civil War, President Lincoln And Brigham Young had a sort of understanding that the law wouldn't be enforced if the Mormons just stayed out of it, the Civil War. And so they were kind of just allowed to continue on having big Mormon families. In 1869, the Transcontinental Railroad was completed and it went through the Utah Territory. And so more and more non-Mormons began to enter the region and this Mormon supremacy over the local government begins to like fall away. And I mean, there's still a lot of Mormons there now and they have, you know, they're in all levels of government, but it's not as explicit or, you know, the church isn't overtly just running everything. Mm -hmm. Uh, Brigham Young. He remained president of the church until his death in 1877. He had 55 wives and 56 children. So, wow, big family. Brigham Young University in Provo, Utah is named after him, obviously. Mm-hmm. Is there like a Joseph Smith University or an Alfred Cummings University? I don't think so, but I can look that up real quick. See, that's also the thing is I've definitely heard of Brigham Young outside yeah. of outside of Mormonism, whereas Joseph Smith, I don't think I've ever heard that he was even the mayor of what town or what county. And so I think Brigham Young had a little bit more. Brigham Young definitely. I mean, Brigham Young was head of the church for a much longer period of time mm-hmm. than Joseph Smith was. And a lot of like Mormon theology and beliefs were really like hammered down and church structure was really formalized during the Brigham Young era, as opposed to Joseph Smith. So what I'm looking at, apparently there is a Joseph Smith Academy 
in Nauvoo that uh, until recently, according this is Wikipedia, until recently the academy was a home uh, to a BYU distance study program mm-hmm. focusing on church history, but I guess no longer functioning and was torn down in September of 2007. Hmm. See, answer to that question. I yeah. guess Joseph Smith doesn't have a school named after him. But yeah, Brigham Young, I don't think you have to be Mormon to go there, but a lot of the people there are Mormon. Yeah, you definitely don't have to be Mormon because there's this one girl that I've seen on TikTok mm-hmm. that goes to BYU and she's from Hawaii and she's not Mormon. She has a lot of interesting stories, especially from like her experiences, like dating people there That's a... who are Mormon. Mm. Yeah. It's real interesting. So I'm guessing by now the Mormon church does not, does, no longer endorses polygamy, if I had to guess. So yeah, that, that was going to be my next thing. I would say in 1887, there are some more anti-polygamy laws that were being passed. And this time Congress was actually enforcing them. So the church and church members sued, arguing that free practice of religion. But the Supreme Court consistently sided with the government, Mm -hmm. saying that they could limit uh, polygamy. And so these cases would go up to the Supreme Court and culminated in a case in 1890 that called for the LDS church to be disincorporated and authorized the government to seize church assets if they continue to practice polygamy. A few months after this decision, the president of the Mormon church, Wilford Woodruff, he ended the practice of plural marriage in the United States. And in 1904, the practice was discontinued everywhere Mm -hmm. you know my question on the same on the same vein of why you had to give reasons as to why they wanted polygamous marriage what was the united states basis of saying no polygamous marriage whereas you know the united states is all personal freedoms and if people want to do that what's stopping them why can the government limit that yeah i would like i i would tend to agree and it's probably you know, it probably still has the anti-Mormon hate to it, but like in an ideal world, if multiple people want to get married, you know, that's fine. I mean, in today's culture, we have, you know, polyamory is now. It's on the rise. Yeah. It's more talked about and growing in acceptance to some level. Yeah. And especially with the Supreme Court. Yeah. What is the, what does the Supreme Court say about anything other than the constitution? Isn't that kind of their whole, whole shtick is defending the constitution i thought yeah if i had to guess i would imagine if you they had to justify today they'd probably do something with like tax code and be like you can't get multiple benefits and yeah or some health insurance thing yeah Yeah. it'd be some weird because you know money issue with health insurance like your grandma can't be on the same plan as you, so I'm sure. Yes, I I work at my sixty thousand dollar a year job, and my forty wives get benefits. <laughs> yeah, 
<laughs> and your 56 kids, Ryan. Don't yes. Yes. I have 157 people on my family plan. <laughs> uh, I'm not committing tax fraud. Yeah, no. About? I can so, see that. I can see how that could be weirdly justified, but yeah. So yeah, nowadays, um, the main LDS church, it totally disavows the practice and yeah. will excommunicate members that marry multiple people. But um, because of this, there are some like fundamentalists and splinter groups that have branched off and continue to sort of practice this, but much smaller in numbers. Um, but yeah, that's why you can still get your like sister wives or whatever. I think yeah. I remember like I will say, when we were kind of young, was there was like some big news story about this guy that had like four or five wives. I don't remember why that one in particular became big, but I remember. Being I think like, my favorite. Hey, you go, Ryan. Oh, I'm just saying, I think my favorite story is the guy that had like nine or ten wives slash girlfriends, and none of them knew about each other until he was in the hospital, and they all visited him at the same time. I think that's my favorite story from that kind of side of things. Yeah. So, uh, but yeah, I mean... In modern days, the Mormon church still has its uh, controversies. Civil rights era, they had a big issue on desegregation and the rights of Black people in the church because it wasn't until 1978 that Black people could be in the priesthood, Mm -hmm. which is, priesthood is a little bit different because, like, All of them can be priests. And so most Mormons at a very young age are indoctrinated into the priesthood, like officially. But it wasn't until 1978 that Black people could do it. Mm. So yeah, there's that was a big stink. And Brigham Young University also didn't desegregate until rather late in the process. And then modern days, you have... uh, lot of issues around gay rights and acceptance in the community but we're not here to talk about that that's modern stuff we're only here to talk about history well uh, one last thing uh utah basically the only thing keeping it from becoming a state because they'd been wanting to make it a state ever since deseret in 1850s whenever they first moved out there once polygamy ends in 1890 utah becomes a state in 1896 Mm -hmm. um that basically sums up the mormon wars kind of crazy very niche something i feel like next to nobody yeah something next to nobody's heard about i feel like exactly and like how what do you think of my assessment of like top three political issues like do you think it carries weight do you see where i'm coming from with that yeah definitely definitely seems like they were an issue but not specifically their own fault question mark yeah like definitely you know they incited much of any of this yeah it's very much like got your own qualms but like 
oof, y- you understand like legit persecution. Yeah, you know, and it definitely has created like the the trauma. You know that generationally they went through. It definitely formed like a Mormon distinct cultural identity and very tight knit. And so, you know, I guess if I had to hypothesize, they like Jewish people are like, you have like cultural Jewish and religious Jews. I would say on the spectrum of things, Mormons in that sense that you can be cultural and stuff and have an identity with that. They're much closer to Jews in that respect than many other denominations of Christianity. Mm-hmm. I can see that. But yeah, we're like in that specific time frame, that could be a lot more of a cultural impact than a religious impact, if that you know if yeah. that makes sense. I could like, definitely agree with that. And I could only imagine like if they had to move to like Alaska or something and the real isolation that they would get up there. And I can only imagine it would become an even stronger sense. Another thing that always throws me off too is how hard it is to relate to these situations. If that makes sense as well, because there are so many times that I try to think it's like, what would happen if I was in this situation? And of course you can never really know, but at the same time, like through this whole situation, I was trying to think, well, yeah, what if I was in a group that was thrown out of a city? Mm-hmm. Like, I would probably be one of the people, like, randomly killed in the streets or something. Like, I wouldn't be able to just flee. Like, how would I get through a situation of someone coming up to me and saying, hey, you're not allowed here. Like, get out or die. Mm-hmm. Like, in my head, I could not deal with that. And then having to do that, like, three times in the course of, like, 20 or 30 years is kind of insane. Yeah. Like it yeah. takes on a certain like sense of perseverance mm-hmm. and like it's kind of honorable in a way. Not, not honorable. Um, like I can respect that, you know, yeah. that they were yeah. able to kind of get through it in that sense. No, I, I totally get that and agree. It's been through some shit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You can say that. Shit. And I realize there's that much like conflict in their history as a church. Yeah, like that much conflict. The you know executive order forty four, the more the original Mormon extermination order, it lasted on the books until nineteen seventy six. Whoa, it's a long time to have that on there. At the same time, it's also one of those things that they could say, oh, well, that lasted for a few years. We forgot about it. We didn't want to talk about it. And then in 1976, they got back to, well, while we're in the process of desegregating and like saying things that we did wrong. Yeah. Yeah. That was probably a bad idea. So we'll just officially take that off the books. But yeah, I can also see how those things were just kind of left and just ignored. Mm -hmm. See, and I think... um... Illinois is also like apologized for how they just disbanded Nauvoo and also kind of forced them out. Yeah, that's early Mormon history, the Mormon Wars. So I think I'll wrap up today's episode. You listeners, if you like today's episode, again, please tell your friends about us. We're always happy to share this with other people. If you want to look more into 
early Mormon history and Mormon beliefs or whatever. I'll put some links down in the show notes. Any people listening are members or former members of the LDS church. Let us know how I did, you know. Hopefully we didn't get anything too wrong. Our music in this episode is by Mountaineer. You can find their music and other people's music on upbeat.io. That's U-P-P-B-E-A-T dot I-O. Opening clip was from the Book of Mormon musical, which I highly recommend. It's hilarious, crude, great music. As always, we'd like to acknowledge that we are recording this podcast on occupied land that rightfully belongs to the Kiowa and Comanche, Tonkawa, and other indigenous peoples. If you have any questions, suggestions for future episodes, or you just want to say hi, you can reach us at History Spelunkers. That's History, S-P-E-L-U-N-K-E-R-S, at gmail.com. Thank you for listening, and thanks for coming down the rabbit hole with me. Till next time, peace. Bye, everyone. Bye, guys.